0: Hey podcast, what's up? This is your host, Sasuke, aka Rishikesh, an aspiring investor and podcaster all over from India. I hope you all are doing well. In today's episode, we are gonna cover a chapter from a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is written by Del Carnegie. This is the chapter of If You Must Find Fault. This is the way to begin. I hope this episode will bring a change of attitude. Now let's jump into episode. A friend of mine was a guest at the White House for a weekend during the administration of Calvin Coolidge. Drifting into the president's private office, he heard Coolidge say to one of his secretaries. That's a pretty dress you are wearing this morning and you are a very attractive young woman." That was probably the most effusive praise Silent Cal had ever bestowed upon a secretary in his life. It was so unusual, so unexpected, that the secretary blushed in confusion. Then Coolidge said, Now don't get stuck up. I just said that to make you feel good. From now on, I wish you would be a little bit more careful with your punctuation. His method was probably a bit obvious, but the psychology was superb. It is always easier to listen to unpleasant things after we have heard some praise of our good points. A barber lathers a man before he shaves him. And that is precisely what McKinley did back in 1896, when he was running for President. One of the prominent Republicans of that day had written a campaign speech that he felt was just a trying better than Cesario and Patrick Henry and Daniel Webster all rolled into one. With a great glee, this chap read his immortal speech aloud to McKinley. The speech had its fine point, but it just wouldn't do. It would have raised a tornado of criticism. McKinley didn't want to hurt this man's feelings. He must not kill the man's splendid enthusiasm, and yet he had to say no. Note how we adored he did it. My friend, that is a splendid speech, a magnificent speech, McKinley said no one could have prepared a better one there are many occasions on which it would be precisely the right thing to say but is it quite suitable to this particular occasion sound and sober as it from your standpoint i must consider its effect from the party standpoint now you go home and write a speech along the lines i indicate and send me a copy of it he did just he did just that McKinley blew pencils and helped him rewrite his second speech and he became one of the effective speakers of this campaign. Here is the second most famous letter that Abraham Lincoln ever wrote. His most famous one was written to Miss Bixby, expressing his sorrow for the death of the five sons she had lost in the battle. Lincoln probably dashed this letter off in five minutes. Yet, it sold at public auction in 1926 for $12,000. Yet, that by the way was more money that Lincoln was able to save during a half a century of hard work. The letter was written to General Joseph Hooker on April twenty sixth, 1863, during the darkest period of the Civil War. For 18 months, Lincoln's general had been leading the Union Army from one tragic defeat to another. Nothing but the futile, stupid human butchery. The nation was appalled. Thousands of soldiers had deserted from the Army and even the Republican member of the Senate had revolted and wanted to force Lincoln out of the White House. We are now on the brink of destruction. Lincoln said. It appears to me that even the Almighty is against us. I can hardly see a ray of hope. Such was the period of black sorrow and chaos out of which this letter came. I am printing the letter here because it shows how Lincoln tried to change an obstreperous general when the very fate of the nation could have depended upon the general's action. This is perhaps the sharpest letter Abel Lincoln wrote after he became the president, yet you will know that he praised General Hooker before he speak of his grave faults. Yes, they were grave faults, but Lincoln didn't call him that. Lincoln was more conservative, more diplomatic. Lincoln wrote, there are some things in regard to which I am not quite satisfied with you. Talk about tact and diplomacy. Here is the letter addressed to General Hooker. I have placed you at the head of the Army of the Potomac. Of course, I have done this upon what appears to me to be sufficient reasons, and yet I think it is best for you to know that there are some things in regard to which I am not quite satisfied with you. I believe you to be a brave and skillful soldier which, of course, I also believe you do not mix politics with your profession in which you are right. You have confidence in yourself, which is a valuable, if not an indispensable quality. You are ambitious, which is within a reasonable bounds does good rather than harm. But I think that during a General bonset's compound of army, you have taken counsel of your ambition and thwarted him as much as you could, in which you did a great wrong to the country and to a most meritorious and honorable brother officer. I have heard in such a way as to believe it, of your recently saying that both the army and the government needed a dictator. Of course, it was not for this, but in spite of it, that I have given you a command. Only those generals who gain successes can set up as dictators. What I now ask of you is a military success, and I will risk the dictatorship. The government will support you to the utmost of its ability, which is neither more nor less than it has done and will do for all commanders. I much fear that the spirit which you have aided to infuse into the army, of criticising their commander and withholding confidence from him, will now turn upon you. I shall assist you as far as I can to put it down. Neither you are no, neither you nor Napoleon, if we're alive again, could get any good out of an army while such a spirit prevails in it. And now beware of rashness, beware of rashness, but with the energy and sleepless, vigilance go forward and give us victories. You are not a college, a McKinley or a Lincoln. We want to know whether this philosophy will operate for you in everyday business contracts, will it? Let's see. Let's take the case of WP Gore of the War company Philadelphia. The work company had contracted to build and complete a large office building in Philadelphia by certain specified date. Everything was going along well. The building was almost finished when suddenly the subcontractor making the ornamental bronze work to go on the exterior of this building declared that he couldn't make a delivery on schedule. What? An entire building held up. Heavy penalties, distressing losses, all because of one man? Long distance telephone calls, arguments, heated conversations, all in vain. Then Mr. Gore was sent to New York to be at the bronze line in his den. Do you know you are the only person in Brooklyn with your name? Mr. Gore asked the president of subcontracting firm shortly after they were introduced. The president was surprised, no, I didn't know that. Well, said Mr. Gar, when I got off the train this morning, I looked in the telephone book to get your address and you are the only person in the Brooklyn phone book with your name. I never knew that, the subcontractor said. He checked the phone book with the interest. Well, it's an unusual name, he said proudly. My family came from Holland and settled in New York almost 200 years ago. He continued to talk about his family and his ancestors for several minutes. When he finished, Mr. Gaw complimented him on how large a plant he had compared it favorably with the number of similar plants he had visited. It is one of the cleanest and neatest bronze factories I ever saw, said Gaw. I have spent a lifetime building up this business the subcontractor said, and I am rather proud of it, would you like to take a look around the factory? During this tour of inspection, Mr. Goh complimented the other man on his system of fabrication and told him how and why it seemed superior to those of some of his competitors. Go commented on some unusual machines and the subcontractor announced that he himself had invented those machines. He spent a considerable time showing Gaw how they operated and the superior work they turned out. He insisted on taking his visitor to lunch. So far, mind you, not a word has been sent about the real purpose of God's visit. After a lunch, the subcontractor said, now to get down the business. Naturally, I know why you are here. I didn't expect that our meeting would be so enjoyable. You can go back to Philadelphia with my promise that your material will be fabricated and shipped even if other orders have to be delayed. Mr. Gore got everything that he wanted without even asking for it. The material arrived on time and the building was completed on the day the completion contract specified. Would this have happened had Mr. Gore used the hammer and dynamic method generally employed on such occasions? Dorothy Wobrowski, a branch manager of the 4th Monmouth, New Jersey. Federal Credit Union reported to one of our classes how she was able to help one of our employees become more productive. We recently hired a young lady as a tailor trainee. Her contract with our customers was very good. She was accurate and efficient in handling individual transactions. The problem developed at the end of the day when it was time to balance out. The head tailor came to me and strongly suggested that I fire this woman. She is holding up everyone else because she is so slow in balancing out. I have shown her over and over but she can't get it. She got to go. The next day I observed her working quickly and accurately when handling the normal everyday transactions and she was very pleasant with her customers. It didn't take you long to discover why she had trouble balancing out. After the office closed, I went over to talk with her. She was obviously nervous and upset. I praised her for being so friendly and outgoing with the customers and complimented her for the accuracy and speed used in that work. I then suggested we review the procedure we used in balancing the cash drawer. Once she realized I had a confidence in her, she easily followed my suggestions and soon mastered this function. We have had no problems with her since then. Beginning with the praise is like the dentist who begins the work with Novocaine. The patient still gets a drilling but the Novocaine is a pain killing. A leader will use, begin with the praise and honest appreciation. So podcast, this is all for today. I hope this episode will bring a ton of value to you, a ton of knowledge to you. Let's meet in next video, oh sorry, let's meet in next podcast. Until then, peace out.